the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Uh, morning, everybody. Uh, lovely to see you. Uh, yeah, a little bit of a busy morning, uh, but uh, welcome. My name is Johnny Baker. It's my huge privilege to speak this morning to you and to close this service. If it's your first time here, you're really, really welcome. People online as well, you're welcome. Please, please say hello in the chat because uh, we'd love to get to know you. Uh, we have had six weeks in this series. Next week, books in the Bible uh, before Romans, uh, we're looking at John's Gospel in a series called Come and See. Um, but by the end of this morning, we will have spent six weeks in one chapter of the Bible. That feels like a lot. Honestly, I think it's been worth it. And if we spent another six, I don't think that would be uh, enough either. If you have missed any of it, um, you can catch up online uh, any of the talks from this series. Um, but if you have missed it at all, I was trying to work out what's the quickest summary that maybe everyone could understand very, very quickly. And I came up with this. Romans 12 is the Christian version of the hokey cokey. Uh, I bet you didn't think that was coming, did you? Um, but don't forget the hokey cokey is what it's all about. So, um, uh, so sorry. So I've got so many bad hokey cokey jokes, by the way, as well. Someone was once addicted to the hokey cokey, but then they turned themselves around. Um, I'll stop. Uh, this could be terrible otherwise. Um, why is, why is Romans 12 the Christian version of the hokey-cokey? Well, it's not the whole thing. It's the final verse. The final verse says this. You put your whole self in. And that, that is what following Jesus is all about. Jesus Christ put his whole self in. And our call is to do likewise uh, with him. When you find out who Jesus is, when you know what he's done for you, when you know, when you know how much he loves you, you want to scream it from the rooftops. If this is your first time in a church building this morning, ever or online, you've just stumbled across this by the YouTube algorithm by accident, you need to know that you're loved, that you are made and created, known by a God who has plans for you. And I just want everyone to know that this morning. Whatever week you've had, that's you right now. And when people comprehend that, they want to follow Jesus because who's Jesus, he's brilliant. And then they don't want to contribute with a little bit. They want to go whole self in. But you see, here's the problem with the hokey-cokey. It's not always the whole self in, is it? And this is the problem often with the Christian life. Whilst we often put our whole self in, eventually we start pulling bits out. And then suddenly, rather than doing what Romans 12 says, we end up just putting our left arm in or our right leg or even just dipping a toe. Romans 12 says you put your whole self in. You might remember verse 1, which we'll see in a moment. We're called to live as a, a living sacrifice for the Lord Jesus. Now, six weeks is a long time, I know, in one chapter, but it's crucial, this chapter, not just for ourselves as individuals. I think it's really important if we want to flourish, but it's also important for our local community and our worldwide community if we want to see our city and beyond transformed. It's a really serious chapter, but it's also, as you've probably seen if you've been with us, really hard. It's a really hard chapter, isn't it? Nick was here a couple of weeks ago, and he correctly reminded us that it's not littered with suggestions, is it? Romans 12. It's not a group of suggestions. Why don't you try rejoicing? Go, go and have a go at giving, or why don't you try and love some other people? It's full of imperatives, things that followers of Jesus must do. Now, during this past few weeks, I don't know about you, this might be just me, but it's felt like we've been on Twitter. 
Twitter wasn't around, promise you, when Paul first wrote letters to the Romans. But the last few weeks particularly have just been like tweet after tweet after tweet. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Send. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Send. It's been like this huge list of things that we should do. And much of this is hard, isn't it? It's really hard to do these things. But if that's in your head at the moment, we need to go back to that first week when we looked at the flow chart, didn't we? You need to understand, if you're looking at Romans 12, you've got to understand what comes before. Because chapters 1 to 11 tell you about an amazing God who loves you more than you'd ever know. And so you read chapters 1 to 11 and you go, do you think God is amazing? And if you think no, then you go and read them again. If you think yes, you carry on to chapter 12. And in chapter 12, there's all these imperatives, these things that followers of Jesus going to do. And we have to ask ourselves this question after everyone in this series, are we going to do it? And if we're not going to do it, back we go. If we are going to do it, crack on. Now, um, Here's the, here's the kind of the, if you want a geeky theological statement, here it is for you. Gospel imperatives always grow out of gospel indicatives. That's, that's one for theological students. What does that mean? <laughs> Basically it means this. It means the things that followers of Jesus must do, they always grow out of what God has done for us. And some of this teaching about relationships, about finances, about our commitment, they're really difficult to hear in the 21st century. It's alien to us, but honestly, they're worth it. Now, this is the title of the series, The Cost of Living. But Nick said this to me the other day, the cost has been paid. Actually, this series probably could have been called these three things. How to have the very best life. That's what this is about. It's also about how to make the most of your time on earth. It's also about how to win in all circumstances. Now, you may go, whoa, that's hard, but that's, that's my belief. That if we were all of us individually to put Romans 12 into practice, I am not saying it's easy. (laughs) That's never come out of my mouth. But those things will be true. Absolutely true. Now, our world is upside down. I think we probably see that when we look in the news and all sorts of bits and pieces. But there's verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if you're in this building right now and you're still listening, just about, and if you're online and you haven't made a coffee and you're still listening, that is exactly what we're doing right now. We are realigning ourselves with the creator and sustainer of the universe who knows all things. And the time that we spend now will help us go out into this world. Now, Romans 12 has been building, if you've spotted it, and the temperature has been rising. And uh, just here's where we've been going. So verses 10 to 13 were some instructions about how we how we interact with each other. Then there's this section 14 to 16, which is a bit difficult to read, but it could apply to people, our family, but it could also apply to people outside. What we're about to read this morning applies to our enemies. I am not joking when I think we're about to look at some of the hardest teaching in the entire Bible. I will make no bones about this this morning. This is incredibly difficult. And if I come across at any point as glib or smug or anything like that, then I sincerely apologize. This is incredibly difficult. But I tell you what, if we put this stuff into practice that we're looking at this morning, things will change. The whole, the whole thing will change. Um, let's read the chapter. If you have been with us, you'll know that we've been building this um, chapter has gone. So every week, not just reading the passage that you do, you read the whole chapter. So this is it, the whole chapter coming. I'll cue you when we get to the really, really tough bit. Not that the rest of it hasn't been tough already. 
But here we go. This is Romans 12. If you've got it in front of you, on a phone or in a Bible, look at it, but I'll put it on the screen as well. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's logical if you remember that from week one. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Week two, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Week three, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Next one. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not think that you are superior. And uh, here's where we're going today. Please strap yourselves in. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray for God's help. Heavenly Father, thank you for that incredible passage. Father, this is really, really tough. Particularly these last few verses, I feel like we're in miracle territory. Please help us um, to listen well to each other now, but give us the courage and transform our hearts, we pray, to live these verses out in this world, we pray. Amen. I have a lot to say this morning. I'm going to go as quick as I can, but I'm going straight up what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you my three points on these verses, and then at the end, I'm going to bring the series to a close, just try and land it. And I'm, I'll just give you my three points. It's not rocket science this morning. Um, if you've just looked at those last few verses, 17 to 21, I, I think, apart from one little bit, which I'll say in a bit, I think it's pretty straightforward to understand as a concept. Here are the three, three ones. Do not avoid the hostile person. Stay out of the judge's chair and repay evil with good. I also just want to bring in there a little asterisk by the first one, which is really, really important. I'll come to in a minute. 
Do not avoid the hostile person. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In 21st century Britain, the common solution to conflict is to walk away as far as possible. It's the British thing, isn't it? If our teammate, if our family member, if a friend or a colleague is causing problems, we cut them out. That is the default reaction of many. You remove them like a piece of Lego from your life. And it's not just the British who do this. Uh, This attitude is embedded across society. Um, I googled this the other day. Have a look at this. I googled. You might not be able to see that. It says in the Google column there, how to be happy. Don't do that. Um, (laughs) Honestly, there's some great stuff. Sorry, I mustn't mock, but there's some stuff. Honestly, you might need to be sick after it. It's terrible. But... Many of the articles you'll find will talk about relationships, and the advice is simple. The moment people get difficult, delete them, replace them, move on to someone next. So, so that top article there, which you can't really see, was, is from Healthline. And in that article, if you click on it, it says this about relationships. You may just need to end the relationship and moving on. If reaching out isn't an option, try get your feelings out in a letter. You don't even have to send it to them. Just get your feelings out of your mind and into the world can be freeing. And that's what basically happens. People just go, rather than reconcile, I'll just go somewhere else. There's seven billion people in the world. I will find someone else. And more and more people are doing that this day, these days. If someone offends you, you cut them off. Someone at work upsets you, you avoid them. Someone makes life choices you disagree with, you steer clear from them. Someone in your sports club offends you, find another one. Someone in your church winds you up, go to the next one. Don't do it though. That's what the Bible says. It's also possible that even that kind of avoidance happens in uh, the tightest relationships as well. It can happen uh, in marriages between people who live in the same house, people who live in the same small office or friendship groups. And you know how it happens, don't you? We all do it. The silent treatment. Yeah, you've either done it or you're doing it, I'm sure, at some point. We all do that kind of juvenile thing where we just go, right, well, I'm just not talking to them. And some people can take this passage and go, look, I am not repaying evil with evil. I am repaying evil with silence. But actually, that's the worst of the lot. Because actually, you're basically turning around to that person saying, your your relationship is not worth it. I do not want a relationship with you. I want to be separate from you. Which ultimately is actually a bit like the ultimate punishment one day. There is no silent treatment in the gospel anywhere. I can't find it. The gospel sends people into the world to love people as we have been loved. To love those who we often find difficult to love. It's actually one of the most important marriage lessons that anyone will ever learn. One of God's primary purposes in marriage is to teach you to love difficult people. Honestly, it is. God's primary purpose for Hannah Baker in her marriage... (laughs) was and is to teach her to love a difficult person, Johnny Baker. And you won't believe this, but the vice versa is true too. I love you. Um, But here's what happens. So often we follow the world's advice and we clear out and we avoid them. But the Bible says, hang in, don't avoid the offender. Now, I said that there was an asterisk by this. There is an asterisk. Here it comes. Again, this is really important, and I make no apologies for just stalling just for a moment. I do believe do not avoid the hostile person with all my heart for most, virtually all all scenarios. But I do not believe 
that you are meant to stay in an abusive relationship or a relationship where you are being taken criminally advantage of. Uh, sometimes people think, I just always stay. It's Christ-like to stay in every situation. And that is commendable, but I don't always agree with it. We end this series and go to John's gospel. But if we were to go on to the next few verses in Romans 13, uh, we would see that Paul explains the role that governments play in keeping justice. Whether we like them or not, the, uh, they are, the government are God's instruments for justice and peace. And they are there to establish, they're established by God to give protection. If you are in the building this morning, or if you are online, and you are in an abusive relationship, We're here for you, and we will signpost you and support you. Abuse is wrong. Now, some of you will be like, I I I can't avoid. Well, hang on. Look at those first four words there. If it is possible. There is an implication there that there are situations where it's not possible to live at peace. Is it? There's always two people in reconciliation. Always. You cannot live at peace with everyone because some people just won't stop fighting. Either you have to be the person that owns it and says, do you know what, I've got it wrong and repents, or you have to be the person who forgives. There's always two and you are one. So you can always do your bit and own it, whether that is the doing or the undoing, but you cannot do both. Sometimes reconciliation isn't possible. As well as that, don't forget verse 9 from earlier in the chapter. Detest what is evil, cling to what is good. To stay away from some people could actually at times be the best thing to do as it can help them to get rid of evil. I think this is a helpful quote from Tim Keller. Enemies or abusers may be so dangerous that to have anything to do with them is to invite them to sin. In that case, the good you can do them is to stay away from them. Now, we need to discern our motive in these small cases. Is it payback or is it actually trying to bless them? Now, I'm going to say nothing more in this area because I'm miles out of my comfort zone. But I feel this is really, really important. If any of you this morning are in trouble, will you come and talk to us? We'll support you. I've said that. I do want to go back to the, the fact that most, for most of us, let's not avoid these people who are just annoying us. Yeah, these people who are upsetting us, we need to not avoid the offender. Secondly, this. Um, I hope some of you spotted this subtle difference on the stage. You'll see it in a moment. I've been at my present school now for 16 years. When I arrived at St. Peter's, we'd just moved from an old building to a new building. And I'm sure some things survived the move, people included. Uh, but mainly, there were two things that I think survived the move. There's this, which is in our school hall, which is a plaque commemorating those who lost their um, lives in the Great Wars, uh, students and staff. And there's this. Oh, I've taken it from school. Put it in the back of my car. It's coming back on Monday, I promise you. Um, this chair has sat in our, uh, our school for 16 years on the chapel area in the front of the hall. Now, you might surprise this. I haven't seen anyone sit in this. And, and when I came to the school, I was like, why, why is no one sitting in it? And I go, and they just go, I don't know, just don't sit in the chair. And, and I've been confused whether it's got magic powers or something. If you sit in it, you get transported. I have now done my research. I, know, I now know why people do not sit in this chair. Because my research tells me that I think this chair belongs to the Bishop of Exeter. It's his chair, and uh, he hasn't been at our school for a while. Uh, <laughs> surprisingly. Now, 
I think that explains the reluctance to sit in it. But there are some chairs in life you're not meant to sit in, aren't there? If you went to Buckingham Palace, don't sit on that throne. If you went to the Houses of Commons, you don't get in those green seats. Houses of Lords, you don't sit on the red seats. And I don't think you sit in the Bishop of Exeter's chair either. Now, some you shouldn't sit in because of tradition. But there are some seats, or one in particular, you shouldn't sit in. Because you and I, we don't have the knowledge, the ability, or the wisdom to sit in that chair. Now, verse 17 says this. It talks about not repaying evil for evil. Verse 19 says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Don't take revenge. Or in other words... Don't sit in the judge's chair. I don't know about you, but when I'm wronged, I get riled up and I want to deal with it. I will sort this one out. But God says, Johnny, don't sit here. Yeah, but you, you don't know how badly they've treated me. I'm gonna... Don't sit in the chair, Johnny. Yeah, but someone needs to make sure there's reaper. Leave the repercussions to me. Now, I know there are people in this room, and I'm, I don't know who's online, but I'm guessing, who have been wronged terribly. And we want to take charge. We want to take justice. We want to sit there and we want to do the justice, but don't do it. It is an act of faith when you're wrong to trust that the God who deals with us will deal with them. We tend to trust Jesus, don't we? Jesus will deal with our sin. I'm not so sure he'll deal with their sin. So I'm going to... Don't do it. The judge of all will deal with it. Now, you may go, no, but I want... Here's two reasons why don't do it. Don't do it, because we don't know everything about the situation. Don't sit in that chair. You don't know it. God sits there. He knows everything. He is just. He is fair. And on the day of judgment, he will execute perfect uh, perfect justice. He knows what he is doing. And we don't sit there because we don't know what we're doing. We have our own sin to deal with. Now, we may think, well, I'm in the very best position to judge because I know what's happened to me. And I, no, we've got our own bias from a judge's perspective. Our selfish anger means that it would be impossible for us to execute the justice that God will one day execute. Don't sit there. Don't lash back. And finally, for this section, repay evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Wow. That's tough, isn't it? That's about as hard as it gets, I think. Just as Paul's not saying, don't do evil back, which sometimes can feel like an achievement. Well, they did this to me and I didn't hit back or do anything. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying don't hit back, go silent. It's saying... Do good. It's built, hasn't it? This whole passage is built in many ways to this verse. Because if you think about just the last few, uh, not uh, not avoiding people is difficult. Not judging and getting in that chair is difficult. But this, i I got to go back with good. This is, as I, I think I prayed earlier, this is miracle territory. It is incredibly tough, verse 21. But it's really important that we understand that word overcome, because it's a military term. Actually, better means overpower. So here's why Paul says this. Paul says that if you repay evil with evil, 
immediately the battle is lost to evil. Evil's won as soon as that happens. The only way to defeat evil is by doing good to the one that has harmed you. Now, I know that's tough, but if you hate a person who has wronged you and you can't get over that, that person has won and evil is triumphing. The only way to defeat this is to forgive and to love the person. This is so difficult, so, so difficult. Another reason why we need to repay evil with good is is verse 20. And it was the one bit I alluded to that we may have been confused by. So verse 20 says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Got it. That sounds like in the spirit of the passage. Then this happens, doesn't it? In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Some of you are thinking that's more like it. Now we're in business. Here we go. I am sorry to spoil that momentary party. Um, it's a Jewish metaphor, and it means one of two things. In, uh, if you are someone who repays good for the evil that's been given to you, it will do one of two things. It will either wake them up to the injustice of what they've been doing, a bit like just throwing cold water over them. Or secondly, it will increase God's judgment on them on the day that he brings vengeance. God will say on the judgment day, kindness and kindness and kindness has been poured out on you. And you've just ignored it. Now we want, we want them to wake up. That's what we want. We want to bless them and then to wake up. We want to see huge transformation. But that's why that verse is there. There's your three. Don't avoid the hostile person. Caveat. Stay out the judge's chair. Repay evil with good. Now at the end of this service, you may want to just sit and pray with someone. Uh, and I and others will be more than happy to do that because I reckon everybody in this building and everybody online has someone in their head, someone who's wronged us or we've wronged, and we've, we can do our part, if at all possible, to make peace. And you might want to do that. This is really difficult. So if you want to pray, we think this, this sort of stuff is miraculous, and, but we believe there's a God who does miracles and transforms situations. So please pray uh, with us at the end. Uh, but I need to land the series, and I'll, I'll do it like this. Um, I just looked back at the whole of Romans 12, and I, I was just struck, uh, I don't have time to do all of this now, but I was just struck that Romans 12 is it's Jesus. Have you, have you thought about that? It's, it's Jesus. I mean, we're called to live our lives as a living sacrifice. He did that, didn't he? We're called to not conform to the world, to live differently. Tick. Jesus did that verse 2. I'm not going to do all 21, don't worry. Uh, verse 9. Verse 9 talks about, what does it talk about? It talks about love must be sincere. Talk about genuine love. That's Jesus, isn't it? Verse 9. Uh, verse 10. Honour one another above yourselves. That's what Jesus did. He didn't do it as well. He didn't go, oh, if I must, I'll do it. Jesus did it for us. Verse 10. Verse 13. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Big tick for Jesus. Uh, verse 14. Practice Uh, Bless those who persecute you. Big tick for Jesus. Verse 21. Did he overcome evil with evil or did he overcome evil with good? It's good, wasn't it? It's a huge picture of Jesus. If you find Romans 12 difficult and you want to be like Jesus and you want to put this into practice, we've got to worship Jesus. Because what we worship, we become like. And this stuff is difficult but possible. And how do we do it? We look to Jesus. He is unrivaled and brilliant 
And he's the one that we serve and sing about and we worship. So point to Jesus. I'll leave you with this. Back in 2000, a gentleman called John Piper addressed 40,000 students at a conference in America called One Way. Uh, You can look it up online. The sermon uh, became famous for an illustration towards the end. Uh, Piper wasn't talking about Romans 12, but I think he was desperate for, his, for the, the assembled 40,000 to put Romans 12 into practice. He wanted them to be living sacrifices for the rest of their lives. And he said this. He said, you don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in the world. You don't have to be smart or good looking or from a good family, he told them. You just have to know a few basic, glorious, majestic Obvious, unchanging, eternal things and be gripped by them and be willing to lay down your life for them. He then told this story. Three weeks ago, we got news at our church that two of our church family were killed in Cameroon. Ruby Eliasson, over 80, single all her life and nurse. She poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards, a medical doctor in the Twin Cities, and in her retirement, partnering up with Ruby, she was also pushing 80, and going from village to village in Cameroon, telling people about Jesus. The brakes gave way over a cliff, they go, and they died instantly. And John Piper asked his congregation, is this a tragedy? Piper said this, two women in their 80s, almost a whole life devoted to one idea. Jesus Christ magnified among the poor and the sick in the hardy places. Is that a tragedy, he said. He said, it's not a tragedy. It's not a tragedy. I'll read you what a tragedy is. And he picked up, believe it or not, Reader's Digest. And I think he changed the names, but he read this. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the northeast five years ago. When he was 59 and she was 51... Now they live in Florida where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler. They play softball and collect shells. That's a tragedy, said Piper. There are people in this country that are spending their time living their dream like Bob and Penny cruising on their trawler, playing softball and collecting shells. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. As the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account of what you did... Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. And then he uttered four words that have been lots of his ministry ever since. Don't waste your life. Romans 1 to 11 demand a response. If you've never read read them, read them again. And that response, in view of God's mercy, is Romans 12. It is the only response. It's the only logical one. Don't end up... On judgment day, standing before the Lord Jesus, going, look, Lord Jesus, I got to level 500 on Candy Crush. Don't stand there and go, I watched the DVDs of the West Wing 27 times and I know them front by front. Don't be there going, look at how much money I accrued in my account and I blessed no one with it. Don't be there going, look, Lord, at my wonderful house, but no one ever came in it. Don't go, look, Lord, how many parties I went to, how much fun I had and I never helped anyone. That's a tragedy. Don't waste your life. I like symmetry, so here's where we'll end. You put your whole self in, and you don't pull your whole self out. We have very few days left, I'm sure, all of us. Life is short. 
Don't waste your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Romans 12. Thank you that it is a brilliant picture of the unrivaled Lord Jesus. Thank you that he gave everything for us. Everything. Father, the logical response for us is to do likewise. Some of this teaching we're looking at right at the end of the chapter is particularly difficult. Father, where our hearts are stone-like, would you turn them into hearts of flesh? These people who've come to our minds who, who are wronging us, who are annoying us. Father, help us overcome evil with good. Father, silence is not enough. Walking away is not enough. Father, we pray that what would happen if everybody in this room goes out into this city this week and just overcomes evil with good? Father, would you do immeasurably more than we could ask or even imagine in our hearts? And we say thank you to Jesus for all he's done for us. We don't want to waste our lives. We want to live for him. Everything. Whole self in, nothing out. In Jesus' name, we pray these things.